Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kurt Damon. All right, folks, uh, Ben from Lawyer's Guide here. This is the fourth of the four Edamame episodes that Kirk recorded about various television-related topics. Um, it's actually the third one he recorded and sent me, but it will be the fourth in release order just based on various other considerations. We put the Roswell episode out first while that show was still sort of fresh, uh, and then the two Star Wars episodes in the middle, and now this one. So um, by the time you read this, you will have already listened to the other three, and it's possible that Kirk says some things here about the chronology based on when he recorded it that don't line up with the publication order. So uh, just indulge us on that. This is just uh, the natural consequence of us still dealing with uh, being separated frequently with COVID and just trying to get content out to you. So we appreciate you all sticking with us, and I hope you enjoy this one. Okay, guys, one more Edamame episode with me talking about TV. Um, there's another one of these coming, but I still got to watch the show. So it's <laughs> I'll just warn you about that. Uh, as to what it is, but the one I want to talk about here is not a one-on-one show in particular, but what I see is interesting, and it's it's a comment on what I'm seeing right now in conjunction with TV as a whole, um, in conjunction with science fiction, and in conjunction with, uh, I think, a lot of the properties that we enjoy, and the idea I think we're getting into, and one of the things we're really starting to see in conjunction with these things, is what I would like to refer to as the complicated villain. Um... And it's something I think is a fairly recent phenomenon, um, but I want to talk a little bit about where I see the history of it and where I see it going. And what really struck me about this, I happened to be listening to um, a podcast, another podcast that I listened to that was talking about the fact that, you know, we, we've kind of lost in our, our popular culture the real clear distinction between good and evil, um, we are not enjoying in our um, our popular culture stuff currently the idea there is simply the the to use the old western analogy uh, the cowboy in the white hat and the cowboy in the black hat the cowboy in the white hat is an unquestionable good guy the cowboy in the black hat is an unquestionable bad guy the unquestionable bad guy can do anything they want and usually pick the most nefarious ways to do it um, the unquestionable good guy uh, lives by a code of honor which is unshakable and which they would never violate uh, even to the extent that it puts them in difficulty, but in the end, they prevail anyway because the code of conduct does so. Um, this is oftentimes thrown out as the idea, like Superman being the perfect Boy Scout. Um, you know, Superman is you know beyond question the most powerful being in his universe. Uh, he can do anything he likes, including being the ultimate super criminal. Uh, but he is not. He lives by a code of honor, uh, which says he's he's beyond it. The reason why I'm getting into this is because of just sort of things that I've encountered in pop culture that they've uh, gotten into recently. One of these, um, and one of the ones I just sort of want to talk about, uh, was Free Comic Book Day. Um, I don't know if you guys do Free Comic Book Day or not. Uh, I have done it previously a few weekends. I have to say, I'm not an enormous fan of comic books. Uh, There are a few I have enjoyed over the years immensely. Um, I really enjoyed early wet works. Uh, for those of you who did it, however, uh, when the writers transitioned to me, that that went downhill. It became too much of just how big can we make guns in illustration uh, and lost a little bit of its storyline. Um, I've obviously read a few of the, um, you know, sort of what I would call amazing classics. Um, uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman is obviously just a, a stunning work of art, um, you know, in what it has. But one of the few things I can say in conjunction with comic books that I definitely had when I did comic books. Now, I got into comic books late in life. I got into them while I was in law school, uh, so after college. Um, 
I got into a lot of the darker ones. Uh, I have to say it. I liked Garth Ennis. Um, and anybody who has read, you know, Preacher or Hitman, uh, Garth Ennis is dark, uh, to put it mildly. I mean, he is violent. He is grotesque um, and, and stuff like that. But he does oftentimes ask interesting questions. Uh, I think the concept behind Preacher is an extremely interesting concept. And it, it's got to be dark and it's got to be, in some sense, very cruel um, for it to make sense. Um, but it is one of those things, um, that I think is, is interesting, uh, from it. But the reason I mentioned it was free comic book day is because this year, uh, my son and daughter decided they really did want to kind of do a lot of the free comic book stuff. We went around, I picked up, I think virtually all of them. We ended up, I know I've missed a couple, uh, and we got a few duplicates as it turned out, uh, in the course of getting them, but we got virtually all of the titles and I've been reading through them. Uh, my daughter's been reading through them. Uh, my son's been reading through a few of them. He isn't quite as interested in it. But what I'm noticing is a lot of the ones that are really appealing to me, and I think a lot of the ones that are coming are, again, things are more complicated than we think they are. Um, examples of the three kind of ones I bumped into, uh, Blade Runner Origins looks really good. <laughs> like, I had to admit, like, when I was reading through it, I'm like, this is a book I might buy. Um, this looks like an interesting story, an interesting comment. Um, you know, what we have early days of the replicants. Now, I know that's been explored in comics before. I've never really been sort of into the background of the Blade Runner universe. I have to admit, I haven't seen the reboot movies. Um, Though, obviously, I really enjoy Blade Runner as an existing movie, um, you know, as to what it is, a part of it uh, just simply being uh, because it is one of my favorite directors. Um, and so, you know, Ridley Scott is one of my favorite directors, and I think he just did an amazing um, job in conjunction with that. The other thing that I, I really bumped into is, and I'm going to mispronounce it, Therese, I believe is how it's pronounced, um, which I found the mythology of to be just an incredibly fascinating idea. I know it's going to come out as a Netflix series. I don't have Netflix, unfortunately. Um, but to me, that, that just the, the you know, five-page introduction or whatever appeared in that free comic book was like, wow, I would love to read this. Um, so I thought that was interesting. But what we see about those is we see complicated villains. I think complicated heroes have been around for a while. If we want to talk about the idea of, of heroes whose life is complicated, what are they? We can simply look at Batman. Um, we have, for the longest time, Batman has been a complicated hero. Uh, he is obviously a noir hero. It's somebody who, you know, struggles with personal demons, uh, but at the same time is sort of unquestionably a good guy. Even if all the times they don't necessarily do good things. Um, you know, he's, he's trying to do them for the right reasons. He is who he is. And people have talked about, you know, the, the, the problems with Batman as a vigilante and as sort of the world he exists in. It, it only really works in Gotham City um, where the world is so completely dysfunctional by crime. You have to have him. Um, you know, he, you can have somebody who, who is that complicated there um, and existing there and still have it work. Um so I think that that's, you know, you've seen that, you know, in, in conjunction with the complicated history. If you want to talk about the idea of Batman having a complicated history, I think you quite frankly don't even need to look any further than the Lego Batman movie. Um, the Lego Batman movie does a great job of making fun of Batman being a complicated hero. Um, and that being an important part of the Lego Batman story, um, while at the same time being presented in a very fun way. Um, you know, the idea of him sitting alone eating his lobster thermidor, you know, in the middle of all his bat boats uh, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, and just, you know, he's, he's, he's very much a hero who is so torn by his history, who is so torn by who he is and what he is. He almost 
he almost doesn't function um, sort of as a, as a character. And I think the writers of Batman over the years have done a very, very good job in the movies. Um, I haven't read as many of his comic book adaptations, but I think he's done a good job of many of his comic book adaptations, the one few I've seen uh, of what he is. Uh, something I've gotten just into recently, again, I didn't know much about until really free comic book day and some of the stuff that I've heard recently, um, is the way they presented that with Robin. I didn't realize how conflicted they were making Robin. Um, uh, with it, just because again, I didn't read those those books. I didn't realize there had been multiple Robins. Uh, the sort of relationship between you know Batman and Robin, uh, obviously, just in his most recent uh, portrayals of the idea of you know Robin, um, you know, actually uh, being gay, um, and that that being a, a sort of important part now of his new personality, um, and that's where it looks like they're headed. Sort of that that. It's, it's interesting to see those types of things with it. But I think we've had, for many, many years, the conflicted hero. And again, I sort of look at it, uh, or the complicated hero. We look at Batman and say, he's a complicated hero. He, he's good. He has his evil aspects of himself. And it's fighting um, sort of against that. We have not necessarily had the idea of the complicated villain. Um, instead, the villain has always been sort of the foil to the hero. Um, the villain is almost always unequivocally evil. Um and is somebody that, you know, we know we can just simply dislike. Um, we can get into, you know, sort of the things with this. And, and again, those who know on the show, I've talked about it. I'm a James Bond fan. Spectre is not a good organization in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it, there's no complication to it. It's an evil terrorist organization. End of story. Um, you know, when you get into, you know, many of the sort of, you know, villains in them, they, they are not complicated. Um, they are not somebody who, you know, is there to say, hey, evil has a place. Um, they are just there to be a foil, to be the, the you know, yin-yang uh, arrangement between the hero because the hero needs somebody to fight. Now, it's not to say that they haven't explored concepts of the villain being the hero, the villain being complicated. Um, again, having read Free Comic Book Day, Suicide Squad. Um and, you know, seeing the, the idea of, you know, where the Suicide Squad came from, I know that obviously they've got the movie coming for Suicide Squad. I knew who Suicide Squad was. Um, but you're, again, you're seeing villains starting to become complicated. I think it's an interesting trend. Um, and I think it's something that in some sense I like. What I do think is interesting about it is we have yet to have the complicated villain and the complicated hero be complicated in the same movie. Um, we're not there yet. Most of what we're seeing now is we're seeing the backstory movies. Um, the introduction of the complicated villain where we have a prior movie where the villain is simply the villain. Um, and we're now giving them the new movie where the villain is not quite the villain anymore. The villain is more complicated. Uh, I would say this, this really, in my mind, started with Wicked, um, the musical. I would, to me, that's sort of the first one that I think really does this. Um, the idea of the more complicated story behind the Wicked Witch of the West, um, which is a good one because the Wicked Witch of the West is, is truly the archetypal villain. We know nothing about the, about her. Um, you know, in Wizard of Oz, especially in the Wizard of Oz, the movie, again, I haven't read the Wizard of Oz book, but, you know, for Wizard of Oz, the movie, which is obviously what sort of Wicked, I think, reacts to, um, we, we really just see her as purely evil. Um, she has virtually no personality. She is a pure archetype uh, for Dorothy to be up against. Um, and, you know, that, you know, Dorothy as the hero uh, needs somebody to, to give her the challenge uh, of who she's fighting against uh, and the dangers associated with it. So I think that that's one of the, um, 
uh, one of the first places we really saw this. And, and I have to admit, first time I saw Wicked, I loved the story. I thought it was a great story. Um, I really enjoyed Wicked. I liked the music to it too as well. But it was kind of fun to, for the first time, see this, like, hey, there's this backstory. It turns out the Wicked Witch of the West isn't quite so wicked after all. Oh, and by the way, isn't actually dead. Uh, sorry if I gave away a spoiler there for Wicked. But it's, um, it's one of those with, uh, I think we just, we saw that idea sort of coming into play. And it's something we have seen happening much more now. Uh, we are unquestioningly seeing it in the Marvel Universe, the Disney Marvel Universe. Um, you know, I think when we get into, you know, Infinity War... Um, and Endgame, we start to see much more the idea of villains being complicated. Even Thanos is potentially a bit complicated. Um, but definitely, you know, the interaction between the, the, um, uh, the, the characters who are a little bit more on the edge um, as to what it is. A lot of the Guardians of the Galaxy, um, who, again, are kind of complicated heroes um, with it, but we haven't necessarily seen the idea of complicated villains. But we get the idea that, you know, yeah, there's some, some villainy there as well, and are they heroes, are they villains, where does this all fall? So I think that that's, it, it's an interesting trend, and it's something I think we're, we're really going to continue to see. Part of the reason I wanted to mention this uh, and the things with it, and part of the reason it also really struck me, is because... Now seeing what I think you can arguably say is what the archetype of truly evil villain, Cruella de Vil. Um, and, you know, with the introduction of the movie Cruella making Cruella a much more complicated character. So just as background, um, again, if you haven't seen Cruella, get it. Like, it's a movie well worth watching. Um, you know, so what it is, you know, if you don't have Disney plus, don't want to, don't want to pay for it on the advanced access. Um, definitely when it comes out as sort of regular access, I would watch, so you highly suggest watching Cruella. A couple of reasons I would highly suggest watching Cruella. One, it is a beautiful movie. Um, the cinematography and it's very, very good. And what I really want to call out is it's costume design. I really would like to see Cruella get nominated for an Oscar for costume design. Um, the costume design in that movie is stellar. Um, and again, this is the, the, the tech me, um, the me who, you know, love, like, pays attention to lighting and sound effects, um, and, you know, sort of stuff like that as to what it is. The, what they did in the costuming of Corella was really, really good. Um, you know, the methodology of what they did, uh, some of it was a bit over the top, um, but it works, um, in conjunction with it and really works with it the you know who the characters are and what their presentation is in some sense by how they're costumed um you know you've got the the baroness is sort of the hot cote um you know appearance she really works as sort of the the epitome of traditional i would say fashion um or if you want to say fashion in sort of the 50s and 60s um and it just really works. I mean, she is always immaculately dressed in that type of fashion. Against her, you have all the other fashionistas who you always appear as sort of the bourgeois, um, you know, French royalty. You know, they have powdered wigs on um, and stuff like that. They look almost out of place. But the idea that they're, 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 they are out of place because they're too old. You mean the idea, no, the Baroness is the future. She is more, she is who she is because she's revolutionary. Um, compared to the bourgeois that she's around, um, which again is, you know, like 1700s, um, you know, high-end fashion. And then you slap on top of that Cruella, who is, you know, I would put it as like 1960s, 1970s protest culture, and even some modern protest culture um, in the idea of the way she presents herself um, as to what it is. I mean, this is stuff that carries over into the 2000s, into now, 
um, as to what it is. They, they did the same with Artie. Um, I think the way they portrayed Artie, he was he was a character that very easily could have been turned into um, you know token inclusion, and totally is not. Um, Artie completely works as working with with Cruella. Um, and being somebody that Cruella would work with. Part of it is he's very well acted. Um, and, and admittedly, Cruella is incredibly well acted. I mean, the, 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 there's the scene with it we happen to watch again uh, when she, she goes and is speaking to the fountain and all you see is her uh, just sort of speaking to the camera and talking about how she is dealing with this inner demon uh, of what she has learned about her past is a, a brilliantly acted scene of one person speaking to the camera. Um, and, and my man, again, it, that's an Oscar worthy performance. Like I'm not sure that a Disney, you know, <laughs> villain movie will get nominated for an Oscar, but quite frankly, it probably should be. Um, I'm not sure she would win it. There's obviously a lot of great, you know, performers out there, but I think that it's one that, that really should be, uh, because that performance is so good. Um, and, and it plays off of, you know, performances we've seen, uh, throughout other parts of the movie, um, as well. Now, she, really, she has a fun character to play and it's a very fun character to play. But, you know, the, the comment I make with it, the reason I, I sort of pick on this, because obviously this is not a science fiction subject and not something we usually get on. My kids have commented that they want to see 101 Dalmatians again. Um, and I have to admit, I, have to, I want to see it again, too, um, just to see how does, the, how does Cruella set up into the story. You know, there's things about it that I remember from it, but I, I'm pretty sure there's subtle things I haven't caught on to and didn't catch on to. One of those was, though, and it's the reason I haven't seen 101 Dalmatians again, and I remember this. I remember seeing it. I watched it on Wide World of Disney, I think it was. Um, Wonderful World of Disney, that was what it was. They used to be every Sunday night, they'd play like a Disney movie on, I think it was ABC. Um, we used to watch that a lot. We'd watch what was ever on. I mean, that's, it was definitely my introduction as a kid to, to Disney movies. I mean, I remember watching The Love Bug repeatedly. Um, a lot of the animated movies I saw at that point in time. Um, yes, uh, for those of you who you know, know it, I saw Old Yeller. Uh, in conjunction with that, which is a movie that I'm not sure how to introduce my kids to. I feel that that movie needs to be something they should see. That, that Old Yeller is sort of a a cultural touchpoint, but it's also a cultural touchpoint that's kind of fallen out of favor, and I'm not sure how to explain in today's world. It's also one that has – it's a little dated um, in its presentation. It even was when I saw it. Um, but how exactly to portray um, – how to do that with it. But I do remember seeing 101 Dalmatians. And the thing that I remember from being, from seeing 101 Dalmatians is Cruella DeVille is scary. That, and I know I've seen something since then where they talk about the idea that as a Disney movie at the time, she was a much more evil, scary villain um, than a lot of the villains of Disney. And I don't remember why. Now, I do remember it's, you know, she wants to obviously turn the Dalmatians into a coat. You know, it's the fear of, you know, sort of the, the cruelty of that nature um, as to what it is. She's an, it, she's an incredibly cruel person. I mean, that's the, the thing. She doesn't really see her name is Cruella. Um, that's just sort of part of who she is. And that's the, the nature of, of Cruella DeVille. But that's my one truly abiding memory of 101 Dalmatians was not wanting to see it again because Cruella DeVille was scary. Um, that's what I think is so interesting with Disney having explored her now as a villain that is more complicated. And the thing that I love about the Cruella movie is she is unquestionably a villain. Um, Cruella is not a hero in that movie. What she does is poetic justice. 
Um, it's something that I think we look at and say, it's okay. You know, we're okay with it. At the same time, it's one of those things where it's not nice. And the dialogue around what's done, what she does is very cruel. Um, and there's points in time when she is very cruel and it's even pointed out by the foil characters around her, by her henchmen, you know, who are around her is her turning very cruel and her realizing it at times and at times embracing it, um, as well. There's some great dialogue in there and the way she portrays it. Um, the line with it's Cruella gets things done. Um, Stella didn't. Um, and so that's one of those things where, you know, you get the idea that, no, I need this personality. I need this very cruel personality. Simply do what I feel needs to be done, what I want to do. Well, at the same time, you have the foil basically saying, hey, you shouldn't really be doing this. It's, it's mean. Um, and so, you know, I really like that. Um, obviously, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to do a couple spoilers here. But one of the things I really noticed, we just watched the movie for a second time. The end, the, obviously, the end interface with the Baroness. Um, one of the things that I think is, is really good about that scene is while it's set up, you really get that this is the Baroness's choice. You know, when the Baroness walks up to hug her, she could embrace her. She could take her walk back to the house and this is my daughter. You know, um, she could have basically acknowledged the idea that, you know, I did screw up. Um, You know, I'm not truly evil. I can be redeemed. Um, She could have a Darth Vader moment. I mean, you know, it's a sort of place to what it is. But she doesn't. Um, she actually pushes uh, um, Estella off the cliff. Um, and that becomes sort of her downfall um, as to what it is because she is what she is. But I really love uh, the, the statement by Cruel at that point in time as the voiceover, which is the great thing about evil people is they can be counted on to be evil. Um, which is not just a comment on the Baroness, but also a comment on her. Um, and I really liked that um, as to what it is. I also really like, and I think it's it's the... It is the line that sums up the movie. The great thing about poetic justice is it is just so poetic. Um, and that's what I really like about it is it's, it's poetic. It's, it's beautiful in the way a poem is beautiful. Even to the extent that a poem which is beautiful can be about a horrific subject. Um, and that's one of the natures of poetry. And... That's one of the things that, again, I really liked about the movie um, is we have a very cruel subject. We have a very awful subject um, in many respects as to what it is. We have a villain, an unquestioned villain. And again, one that I remember from my childhood is just simply being probably the scariest, nastiest villain that I encountered, not wanting to watch the movie again because of her. Um, but what we see with this is the idea that she is not not that. She is still evil. Um, and she can be counted upon to do evil things as she does. She presents the Baroness in a situation knowing the Baroness will be evil uh, and, and having poetic justice against her. But at the same time, it's evil to put her in that situation. You know, I mean, that's something sort of with her. She has, she has done something with it. As you've seen from the Baroness's earlier line, I'm conflicted. She's very good, but she's made it clear that it's her or me and I choose me. Um... And, and so it's, you know, that kind of thing where it's the, you know, you know, she is setting the Baroness up and it's something she didn't have to do, but she does it because she's cruel because she is Cruella DeVille. Um, and so that's the thing that I, I think I, I really liked about it. What I'm curious about with it is 
what other stars are we going to see fall and what other um, people are we going to see is more complicated and when are we going to see the next complicated hero complicated villain um, and what I would say is the true complicated hero complicated villain movie uh, I have the feeling it's going to appear in the Marvel Universe because I think they're headed that way um, WandaVision definitely got us a bit into that uh, we have made the Scarlet Witch without question a complicated hero you know are we going to see more stuff in conjunction with the complicated villain potentially coming in there uh, potentially Loki I haven't watched the Loki, um, you know, show yet. I mean, it's, I hate to say it, but Disney Plus is churning out such good content right now. I can't watch it all. And, uh, and stuff like that. I mean, there's so many things that they're putting out that I want to watch and just can't watch. Um, it, it's really kind of disturbing. But it's one of those things with what, uh, what are we going to see and when are we going to see the true showdown where we're going to have the complicated villain who may not necessarily be a villain in our eyes by the time we see them um, and the complicated hero who may not necessarily be a hero in our eyes and the showdown between the two of them. Uh, we arguably got a little bit of that with Batman versus Superman, but it's one of those where, you know, I, I think that was a little too early uh, for this type of thing with it. What I think we're really going to see here is, is something where we're going to see that. And again, I think it's going to be in the Marvel Universe just because... The Marvel Universe, it fits so well, where we can have a complicated supervillain, we can have a complicated superhero. In addition, the, the Marvel Universe has been lethal. Um, we have obviously had Marvel heroes and Marvel villains get killed off uh, in ways they're not coming back from. <laughs> so, except, you know, barring multiverses. The... Uh, <laughs> The, uh, you know, I mean, no, no superhero ever has to truly stay dead. Uh, but it's one of those where the, I think we've had some of that uh, come out with it. And I'm kind of looking forward to that movie um, and what they do with it. It's a movie where a good writer, I think, will make a movie that will become a blockbuster and quite potentially a classic. But we need to get there. We need the hero that, or the, sorry, we need the villain that is complicated before the showdown. You know, we need Cruella to exist to be the movie before 101 Dalmatians. We need Joker to be the movie before Batman. You know, we, we need to have, we need to go into the showdown, the conflict movie with the, with the idea that we already kind of find the villain as being conflicted. We already find the villain as being complicated. And maybe we already feel for the villain a bit. And, and it's going to be interesting to see... Uh, where does that go? And again, I kind of wonder if Disney might be doing it with Loki, if that might be where we're going with it. I kind of wonder, quite frankly, if they might be doing it in The Mandalorian. We might be seeing some stuff potentially going into there with The Mandalorian or with other characters in conjunction with The Mandalorian. You know, even potentially being our, our Imperial Commander, even potentially being our, our, our uh, you know, Mandalorian Princess. It's, it's going to be interesting, um, I think, to see where it is and where does that go. So anyway, that's what my talk is with this. I, I primarily did this episode because, quite frankly, I wanted to talk about Cruella. It, it's a movie that has really struck me. Um, and it's, it's a movie that I think is of its time right now. I wonder how well it will age, but I think it's of its time right now. It is a movie that, in my mind, is just so superbly made. Um, as I said, I talked about the costuming. The other thing to talk about with it is I think the music is very well done. Um, the sound design in it is extremely well done, which is very nice. And again, it's visuals, particularly around the costuming. Are very well done and it's a movie that really struck me um you know that i really liked uh ben may have a, a sort of follow-up you know in conjunction with this i know it was a movie he wasn't really fond of uh but uh, i do want to talk about it i do want to talk about it and i wanted to talk about this phenomenon that i see because i think it's going to be an interesting phenomenon in the future the idea that maybe questions don't have easy answers and as that ties into this podcast uh we've you know introduced this paragraph you know asking questions that don't have any uh clear answers or easy answers that's kind of the same way in law what we're seeing now is the world starting to understand that maybe these it good and evil isn't quite as simple as we make it out to be uh maybe uh, the law is not quite as simple as we make it out to be and i think that's an important subject because it's one of the focuses of this podcast but i will sign off and turn it back over to uh ben to uh lead us out
Okay, thank you, Kirk. Um, I did see Corella also, sort of. I think it might be more accurate to say that I was physically present in an environment where the movie was being played, uh, but I didn't really get to focus on it or watch it. We had a little uh, backyard movie night for uh, my kids and a couple of their friends, and I spent most of the time kind of running around dealing with logistical things and was not really able to focus on the film. Uh, so I, I guess I've seen it, but I really just have a general impression of kind of what it looked like and sounded like, but I don't really know the plot points all that well beyond just a couple of scenes I happened to be able to stand still for. So uh, I'll defer to Kirk and his remarks on the film. Um, I did think it looked cool. I liked the visual style, but uh, I really don't have much more to say beyond that because I haven't had a chance to sit down and really absorb it. So anyway, this is the last of our four Edamame episodes from Kirk. I hope you enjoyed these, and we will be back on our regular schedule of more traditional episode formats soon. So thank you very much for listening. Take care. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri. 